Welcome to the podcast for a better life. I'm Chris Johnson. If you're interested, both the book and film version of A Better Life are available at theatheistbook.com. On today's episode, I speak with No Illusions, the scathing atheist. No Illusions is an atheist activist, podcast host, and author. He is the host of five podcasts The Scathing Atheist, God Awful Movies, Citation Needed, The Skeptocrat, and D&D Minus. I asked him about his background and introduction to religion. Uh, Well, so I was, my parents kind of did the religion thing. So I grew up in Detroit or just outside of Detroit um, in in the 80s, back when it had the, I believe, highest murder rate in the country. Woo, go Detroit. Um, (laughs) But but this was also right at the same time that Detroit was falling apart, that everybody was moving out of it. So it was kind of like, you know, I got, I was, I was there for the sort of the death knell of Detroit. Mm -hmm. Um, But my parents were they were both Christian, but I don't think they'd really settled on what type of Christian they were. We didn't go to church. Uh, if I asked questions about death, I would get vaguely religious answers. If I asked, uh, asked questions about Jesus, they would answer them, and they would, you know, as as though all of the Christian stuff was real, but they didn't really indoctrinate me with it. They didn't really teach me anything beyond what I asked of them. What were your views then when you were growing up of religious people. I assume you had friends who were religious. Did you, what did you think of them as opposed to kind of how your parents were raising you at that time? Oh, I was so jealous. Uh, So I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. I'm a pretty antisocial person and have been since I was a little kid, but I had one really good friend growing up. Mm -hmm. Uh, His name was David and he lived just down the street and he was Catholic. Him and his family were Catholic. And he went to, uh, what was it, Kiwanis, uh, this Catholic, uh, Boy Scouts kind of thing, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and and I wasn't allowed to go because it was Catholic, and my mom, you know, she was, again, she was Christian, but she was kind of terrified of indoctrination. She didn't want her kids to be, she went to Catholic schools growing up, so she didn't want her kids to go through the same crap that she did learning about religion and and having it pushed on them so she wouldn't let me do stuff like that so they were constantly you know I would be invited to go to some kids uh, church for their pizza party where they were going to bring in video games and put them on free play and you know and I could never go to stuff like that so I was really jealous of kids uh, the other uh, kids for their religion Mm -hmm. uh, because I didn't recognize anything about it except that I was missing out on you know, sleepovers, camping, and uh, pizza parties. Did that make you want to explore religion as a kid? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know what? No, it didn't. Um, because I, di- you know, because I didn't really associate the two things. I didn't really associate uh, the pizza parties with the theology, with mm. the Jesus stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to go to those things, but I didn't think that. You know, I guess in my mind, I didn't connect that to being religious. Okay. What were your interests uh, as a kid um, in school, and what what kind of things were you interested in? Oh, I was mostly interested in getting in trouble and uh, and um, you know par- partaking of of uh, banned substances and whatnot. I was a I was a bit of a juvenile delinquent, uh, and I think. You know, there was a part of me that wanted to be seen as the bad kid because I had it on good authority, according to all my TV shows and movies, that the bad kid got laid, right? <laughs> that, the, that the girls liked the bad boy. So I wanted to be the bad boy. Uh, and that meant doing a lot of drugs and not taking things very seriously and, uh, you know, getting kicked out of school and stuff like that. So those were my priorities as a, as a child. Um, religiously, I found that... Um, there was a lot of shock value in rejecting religion or being blasphemous or or, or, or whatnot. So I, I took advantage of that a lot. You know, it was really easy to be the bad boy uh, if you uh, didn't take other people's religion seriously. Is that kind of what got you into kind of the atheist world? Was this kind of rejection of religion initially for shock value? Well, yeah, I think it was probably a lot of that. Um, so I got into... I, I, you know, if, at first I rejected religion because that had a certain amount of shock value, but then I discovered stuff like Satanism, and man, if you thought rejecting religion had shock value, right? So I got into <laughs> witchcraft, and I got into demonology, and basically anything that I could say that would make an old lady gasp, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, so I was heavy into like reading tarot cards and and and, and stuff like that uh, for a very long time. Uh, I started getting into that when I was about 15, 16, and probably stayed into, into it until I was in my mid-20s. I don't know that I ever believed in it, but... You know, it, it had the shock value thing. It made me the bad boy. It gave me a sort of ready-made personality. And, and, and eventually, like, you know, it gave me a, a group of misfits to hang out with and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, you know, you can't... You, you know, Wicca, the, the, the neo-pagan stuff, unlike Christianity, it doesn't have that refined ability to be true without ever demonstrating it. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, in those types of uh, religions, you can't help but notice that the magic spell never actually works. Mm-hmm. Right. Christianity has volume libraries of excuses for why the prayer didn't work. They have movies and TV shows and books and works of fiction and works of fact or, you know, what they call fact, all designed to explain away when their religion fails. Uh, A religion that's based on practical magic cannot have that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think that because I was. You know, I was I was a sort of a science minded. I want the evidence kind of guy. There was only so long that I could keep playing along with the tarot stuff. Mm-hmm. Did you find the need to replace that with something else once you kind of got out of it, or what? What happened at that point? Uh, no, you know, I don't think. You know, at that point, I think I just sort of I turned that part of my life off uh, and didn't really think mm-hmm. much about religion. Uh, for quite some time. Now, I, I grew up, like I said, I grew up in Detroit, but when I was about 14 years old, I moved to Georgia and mm-hmm. very, very south, very, very rural Georgia. Um, and so I had, you know, I I was sort of the Satan-y kid in, in, in Detroit because, like, Detroit was into the whole goth thing before the rest of the world. And, you know, I moved to Georgia, I believe, in 1990, right when that was getting big mm-hmm. in Detroit. But years and years and years before it would be seen in uh, rural Georgia, right? So I got a reputation as being sort of the Satan-y kid, and so I had a lot of bad run-ins, bad experiences with uh, religious kids. Um, uh, you know, I was I was an outsider. I was different. I was from elsewhere. I didn't look like the other kids. I wear my I wore my hair long. I listened to different music than them, etc. Um, so uh, Christianity specifically, it always sort of represented uh, prudery and uh, you know otherization. Um, sort of had the smell of my bully, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whenever I uh, uh, encountered it. Um, so there was always sort of this lingering frustration I had with, with religion, with Christianity specifically. Uh, and I thought it was sort of just this idiosyncratic thing. Um, but it was, you know, I, I think I was probably in my early 30s or so when I started to really examine, you know, out, outside of my own personal experience, the damage societally the damage that this is doing you know to to the rest of the world to to all the other kids like me and 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 to people's ability to cope and 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 you know deal with the world rationally as well i think that sort of came uh later because i had so many built-in reasons to hate christianity or just tell myself that i hated christianity or religion were there books or kind of people who influenced you on that journey that you read and kind of got you thinking about these things or was it just kind of a solo process on your own? Well, you know, I think what, what got me to really start dipping my toe in the water, um, you know, I, I was aware of the rise of sort of the new atheist movement in the early 2000s, early and mid 2000s. And I was aware of books like uh, uh, God is not great and, and the God delusion. Uh, I hadn't read any of them, but I was living in New York city uh, and I, they, they had, uh, I can't even remember now what, what organization it was. Maybe it was American Atheists had the bus campaign mm-hmm. uh, where they have, you know, the good without God buses uh, going around. And I saw one of those buses uh, some, on my way to work. And it just, you know, that lingered, that, that stuck with me all day. Me thinking to myself, you know, I haven't believed in this God stuff for the longest time. And whenever religion comes up, I sort of just... You know, I just I, I hold my tongue and I let people talk about it. And I nod along and I say things that are, you know, calculated not to offend and be noncommittal. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me as I'm looking at that bus, like, hey, you know, I shouldn't be ashamed of recognizing reality on this one. Uh, and it was I, I in my mind, it was this, it was that evening. It probably wasn't. My brain has probably conflated these two memories. It was probably several days later. Uh, but I was heading home on the subway and I, I was watching. A, a, a Hasidic Jewish family 
uh, sitting across from me, mm-hmm. and it's a father, uh, his son and his daughter, and the, the 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 brother and sister are sitting there, kind of playing around, and the brother is sneaking something to his sister, and I and I'm kind of like you know half glance and trying to see what it is. It's a book, so she starts reading this book. The father sees this, and becomes irate. And starts yelling at her, and it's, he's yelling, I believe, in Yiddish. I, don't, I have no idea what he's yelling. But he yells at her all the way back to the, until they get off of the, the train. And I, I am speaking later to my, to my boss, who is, is Jewish, and I, I tell him about this. And he explains to me that what I just saw was a girl reading a book that's not for girls. Right? This was a boy book. Hmm. That, that girl was not allowed to have the knowledge that was in the boy book. Um, and just, like, you know, kind of going back over that in my mind, and he sort of explained to me that this is, you know, something that he had encountered quite a bit. His, his, he grew up in a Reformed Jewish uh, household, but, you know, obviously he had a lot of family that were um, Orthodox, and, and, and so he had encountered that quite a bit, and that he had, you know, he told me about sneaking books to his female relatives, that, you know, they would ask him to find, you know, hey, can you get a copy of this book? I'm not allowed to have it. Uh, and these were religious books, right? These were books that were approved to read by Judaism, but not by women. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just became so disgusted by that mm-hmm. um, and, and so furious about that. And I, I you know, I started looking at, at that point uh, online and I started finding things about the quiverful movement and the kind of misogyny that uh, is propped up by really, you know, all the Abrahamic faiths, but virtually any religion that's ever risen to power in any nation. And I, and I think that was the impetus to become an activist about it, to start, like, being loud and, and, and um, you know, be, doing more than simply rejecting the premises of religion. And is that when you started getting into doing podcasts? Yeah, you know, I had wanted to do, I, you know, I, I started listening to podcasts around 2006, 2007, I think. Mm-hmm. So some, sometime around then. And I think like most people who listen to podcasts, uh, especially that early when most of them were terrible, <laughs> uh, you know, it, you, you don't listen to them for very long before you think, well, I could, I don't know if I could do good, but I could do this good at least, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I had thought about it for a while and, and I realized that, you know, there was a show that I was looking for that wasn't there uh, at the time. There are a lot of shows like this now, but obviously podcasting was a little bit newer of a medium back then. And I wanted a show that was atheist. There was an atheist-based show. It was about atheism uh, that was not for religious people who are curious about atheism, but rather for atheists that just wanted to know what was going on in the in the world of religion from an atheist perspective. Um, that wanted to know what was going on in terms of, you know, First Amendment violations and, and uh, uh, the, you know, the latest efforts to try to teach uh, creationism in schools and, and, and uh, to try to take uh, the rights away from gay people on, on religious grounds, etc. Um, that was, you know, that was funny and, and, and that just kind of like focused on, on current events. Uh, that show didn't exist at the time. And I thought to myself, hey, you know, if, if I'm looking for this show, somebody else must be, mm-hmm. right? So I, I talked to my uh, to one of my uh, best friends who was also a super funny guy uh, who it, it had later donned the persona of Heath Enright, became my co-host on The Scathing Atheist. Uh, we started that. Uh, after doing it for a few months, we, uh, we met another guy who was uh, another really good friend of mine, super talented, super funny guy by the name of Eli Bosnick, uh, found out that he was interested in, uh, in playing along with us, too. And, and uh, you know, the, the rest, as they say, is history. I mean, the show has lasted for a long time. What, what do you think it is about it that really has captured the imagination of so many people around the world? Well, you know, I don't know. Uh, that's, that's a great question, and, and uh, I would love to have a definitive answer. But, of course, anything I, I say would just be speculation. But from what I've seen, you know, there we have two types of listeners. We we have a lot of turnover in our listenership. There are, you know, there are some people who have been fans since the very beginning. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of listeners that have been listening to us for seven years or, or uh, six years or, or what have you. But we also find that there are a lot of people that come into our show, listen for a year or two, and, and then move on. You know, and and and. and you know, as much as I'd love to retain every listener, I think what happens is that a lot of people, as they come out of religion, or when they have that, the, the moment that I did, right, where they're non-religious, but they have that moment where they realize that they're passionate about, you know, opposing religion, that they're not just atheist, but anti-theist. I think a lot of people get angry and want someone to help them 
express it, help them direct it, and and to tell them it's okay to be that mm. angry, you know? And that's what the scathing atheist has always been about. That's why we chose that mm. name, um, and that's why the show is themed as it is. The, the beginning of the show, it always starts with a monologue that is usually a very angry monologue. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do is, is help people to get in touch with the anger uh, that they might share or that they might have from the, 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 the childhood that was stolen by religion or the friends that were taken away by religion or the family connections that were taken away by religion or the self-worth that was taken from, uh, from them by religion. Um, I want to help them express that anger. And I think... You know, I, I'd like to think that that's cathartic for a lot of people, and I'd like to think that a lot of the people who move on from the show are moving on because they've had that catharsis. And, and But we're here for that. You know, there's always a new batch of people coming out of religion that need that. So it's almost like you see your show, in a way, as a stepping stone. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Has the tone of the show changed over time? Uh, it's it certainly changed. Uh, it's It's shifted around. I don't know that it's moved in any particular mm -hmm. direction. Um, I think we've gotten more and less angry uh, over the years. Uh, I think, honestly, there was probably a tendency towards less and less angry and more and more uh, feeling vindicated until the Trump administration mm -hmm. began. And that was there was a, a real quick about face. Uh, it seemed like, you know, things were going the right way for the secular universe, for the uh, for the atheist movement. And then on a dime, suddenly it seemed like, Wow, the evangelicals took power right from under our noses, uh, and I think maybe there was a feeling, at least internally within our show, that a certain amount of that came from complacency. Now, and, you know, not to say that there's anything that we could have done with our podcast that was going to change world events, but but just globally, just like you know, uh, or at least nationally, there was a certain feeling of complacency that all right, well, the momentum is with us. Uh, you know, we just uh, you know we pat these boomers on the back until they've died off, and then it's progressive from here on out. And then suddenly, it's you know, we're living in The Handmaid's Tale. And we start. We we all have to look at ourselves and say, "Hey, what did we do? You know, did we take our feet off the gas? Did did, did we, you know, did we lose our passion?" Uh, and so I think that like all of that, and of course all of the uh, ridiculous insanity and um, and theocracy that is that has stemmed from that has has been you know great anger fuel for the last four years. You know, you bring up a really interesting point because I think it's a very difficult line to walk which is this line between, you know, being angry, which, you know, there's a lot to be angry about, especially, like you say, now with the Trump administration, everything going on. Um, and also that your show, you said, is, you know, one of the purposes is to entertain and to laugh, right? And so walking that line between those two things, which you do remarkably well, I mean, it's, it's amazing to be able to do that. Uh, but that's a, that's a difficult thing to do. Like, is there... Is there a particular way you set out to do that? You know, to deal with anger, but also be entertaining at the same time? Yeah, that's a, that's a hard balance to strike. You're, you're absolutely right. And I think from day one, we had the feeling that, look, you know, the, the, the world's too damn dark and the subject matter is too dark. One of the first things that we were talking about on our show from day one was the uh, child abuse scandal, the child rape scandal in the Catholic Church, you know, and the, and that's not the heaviest subject that we talk about. You know, we talk about female genital mutilation. We talk about well, we talk about, you know, all the terrible things associated with religion. And that's that subject matter that people cannot come back to week after week after week unless they get to laugh, too. Right. Um, so I think part of that, you know, part of that balance is struck by each of us having a different role on the show. I'm the serious angry guy, right? I play straight man to my two co-hosts, and they're every bit as angry as I am. They're every bit as passionate as I am. Um, but very often, like, I get to be the angry guy. They they get to be the funny guys. And and, and obviously, we all take uh, those roles to, to varying degrees. But the fact that I've got two people to sort of, like, help keep me grounded, because I tend to get, you know, if, if left to my own... Uh, devices. I think that the show would probably be a little too heavy, and it would be a little too preachy, uh, and it wouldn't have the kind of humor uh, that that would you know that's required to to take this uh, subject matter week after week. But Eli and Heath do a great job of you know trying to making sure that the that the funny stays at the forefront as well. Let's switch gears for a minute and talk about god awful movies. Um, for people that aren't familiar, what is the premise of the show? 
Yeah, so we take a different Christian movie every week, and uh, we'll we'll watch it. We break it down more or less scene by scene for the audience, uh, heavy dose of humor on it. Uh, but the goal here is to show people in the atheist world, in the secular world, what is in these films, right? Because these films are terrible. <laughs> uh, you know, even the best of Christian films have C-list actors and, you know, look, C-list gaffers and, and lighting directors and whatnot. You know, these movies are terrible. They're really hard to watch, uh, even, if you, even if you're religious, right? Even if you talk to your mm -hmm. Christian friends, they'll usually kind of roll their eyes at the Christian uh, movie offerings. Um, but they've also got really damaging messages in them, and those messages often go unheard by the secular community precisely because they're hidden behind such terrible movies. Uh, so we watch uh, a new movie every week. It's not a review show because they're all awful. It's right there in the title. Uh, mm -hmm. But we but we break them down. We try to have a lot of fun with them and uh, and and kind of help inform the atheist community what you know what they're missing out on when they don't go see God's Not Dead Part Four. I think a lot of people, even in you know in, in my liberal circle and even religious friends of mine. Uh, don't know that there is this huge Christian film industry out there. I mean, it was a surprise to me to find out that there was this such a big uh, religious uh, filmmaking industry in the United States. Is it bigger than people think it is? Well, I, you know, to give you an idea, we are tomorrow going to be recording our 255th episode, and we're never at a loss, right? The The list of movies we still have to review still has hundreds of entries on it. Uh, the Christian uh, film industry goes back as far as the film industry, right? Uh, mm -hmm. you, you can find uh, films that, that depict the, uh, the life of Christ, you know, back in the earliest uh, 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 films in the silent era. Um, mm -hmm. So, and there's always been a demand for this. There's always been sort of a ready audience for this. Churches want to use, uh, immediately wanted to use this new technology uh, to help draw people in. And so filmmakers right away started recognizing that. And, and there was, you know, there was a much lower bar of entry there. Somebody who wasn't talented enough to make movies uh, for Hollywood could always make movies for churches. It's the same way with Christian music, right? The, 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 the best that there are or that there is in, in music just goes to music. Uh, if you're not quite good enough to make it in re regular music, you can always try Christian music. They're happy to have you. Uh, so there's always been sort of this, you know, almost black market of Christian film uh, that, that's been an undercurrent since the beginning of, of cinema history. But about eight years ago or so, God's Not Dead came out. This was uh, Pure Flick's first big movie. And it hit at the box office, and it was a wild success. It mm. made a ton, a ton of money. And it showed Hollywood that, hey, you know, if you do a moderately good job of this, you can make a lot of money with Christian movies. Uh, now, it was that exact movie that spawned god-awful movies. Uh, we had our friend Eli Bosnick, who was not yet a a regular part of the scathing atheist we had him on to do a review of that movie we had so much fun with the review that became a regular segment on the show and then eventually it became its own show it became a spin-off but at the same time hollywood started investing a ton of money in this and now you know all the major movie studios have their christian movie wings uh so you'll notice they're trying to make uh they've been for years trying to make easter the big you know, Christian movie uh, uh, opening weekend, so you'll always see the biggest uh, uh, names in Christian cinema always dropping right around that Easter weekend time. Obviously not this year, uh, mm -hmm. but um, but in a normal year. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so it's it's not only, you know, not only does it have a hundred and, you know, eight, hundred and ten, whatever year tradition, uh, but it's also ramping up. It's accelerating. They're making more Christian movies now than they've ever made before. You mentioned God's Not Dead. Let's talk a little bit about that. For those that don't know that film, and I'm sure there are many people who have no idea what this film is, can you just talk a little bit about that film? Oh, yeah, this is such a good one. Okay, so uh, it, it stars Kevin Sorbo of uh, Hercules fame. Uh, he's a born-again Christian and, and um, you know, has, has spent the last, 
I don't know, 12, 13 years uh, trying to remain relevant in the Christian movie industry. Because again, hey, they, they, they always welcome those C-list actors. Uh, so he plays the evil atheist college professor. Uh, so this, it, the main character is this uh, kid who goes to college and he's, uh, you know, bright eyed and Christian. And uh, his very first day, and I believe it's philosophy class, uh, the professor says, all right, step one to philosophy. Admit that there's no such thing as a God. Uh, rip up all your religious icons and pee on this picture of Jesus. Right. And so. <laughs> The kid is like, but I can't do that, Mr. Professor. And he's like, well, then you're going to fail my class. And it ends up in this, you know, they might as well have had a damn ski race to determine the existence of God. But instead, it ends in this uh, challenge from the philosophy professor for the kid to debate him on the existence of God. So the the movie is punctuated with these three big presentations he gives to, to try to prove that God exists uh, within the confines of, of philosophy and of course it's you know it's 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 all straw manning nonsense the the atheist professor can't refute any of his arguments why why the Kalam cosmological I've never even heard of such a you know so he obviously he dunks on the atheist professor and the atheist professor screams runs out of the room because he's you know fearful of having to accept the concept of living forever and wouldn't you know he runs out into traffic gets hit by a car, and dies. Uh, but before he dies, a preacher, the David A.R. White, the man who produced and I believe wrote this film, uh, runs up to him and convinces him to turn his life over to Jesus, and with his dying breath he does so, and everyone lives happily ever after. <laughs> you know, it's funny because even kind of religiosity aside, just as a, as a plot, it's terrible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the writing is awful, the acting is terrible, and, I mean, Kevin Sorbo's uh, death is one of the most melodramatic. Like, you honestly, you just, you want to give him some tums so he doesn't get heartburn from all that scenery, you know? <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, like, and, and that's the beautiful thing about it, and that's why we have so much fun on God Awful Movies, because we get to make fun of things like the lighting, Right. Everything mm -hmm. is terrible in these movies. But then undergirding all of it is this awful message. So we're not just making fun of something, somebody, you know, some art that somebody tried and failed at. We're also making fun of these terrible, terrible messages, which very often are anti-intellectual, anti-gay. They're anti-psychiatry. Uh, 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 a lot of anti, like, you know, mental illness is a, is a lie. Uh, all you really need is Jesus kind of stuff that we find in there. Ton of anti-Semitism, ton of misogyny so you always feel good making fun of these ones too and they have no idea how bad they are that's part of it too oh yeah no they often very you know like it, it, i'm sure kevin sorbo was certain he got passed over for an oscar only because of their prejudice against religion you know it's funny i i, I saw god's not dead for the first time with matt dillahunty um because he wanted to show it to me because I hadn't seen it. <laughs> and we're watching the film and I'm just, you know, my jaw is on the floor, right? And uh, and towards the end of the film, I got a text on my phone because in the film, there's this <laughs> call to action yes, uh -huh. to text your friends, God's not dead. And I look at my phone and it's a, it's a message from Matt from across the room uh -huh. saying, God's not dead. <laughs> it was great. Well, and what's amazing to, and that, and that movie made a ton of money. Right, and, mm -hmm. and I think it showed Hollywood the secret to making a Christian movie that's going to be profitable, and that is to, you know, try to sell the lightest possible message, right? Because the message in God's Not Dead is not, you know, God is great, and here's proof that God exists. The, the message is not that, you know, God's going to solve all the problems in your life. The message behind God's Not Dead, you've seen it, you can back me up on this, is it's not completely ridiculous intellectually to believe in a God, mm -hmm. right? That's the, that's the argument that they're making. They fail, right? They, they do not successfully make that argument, but that's all they're trying to, that's all they've bitten off, mm -hmm. right? right? They, they, they do have to spit it out at the end, but that's all they're trying to say. So you look at a, a lot of the, the big uh, Christian movies, the ones that come out, are coming out of the major studios, have these very, very light, theological angles 
Let's talk a little bit about how atheists are portrayed in these films. Like God's Not Dead, for example, you mentioned Kevin Sorbo. I think Dean Cain was in that one as well, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I Playing so. an atheist. Yep. Playing a horrible, awful person. And I remember there was this scene. So Dean Cain plays an atheist and his, I think his girlfriend, he's having dinner with his girlfriend. I have some news. Me too. Okay, but me first. I've just been named partner. I think I have cancer. Did you hear me? Did you hear what I just said? I have cancer. This couldn't wait until tomorrow. What? you love me I do but you're changing our agreement you're you're breaking our deal you make it sound like a contract negotiation well what did you think this was I thought it was love grow up Amy love is the most overused word in the English language it's what we say when we want something when we need something and you're as guilty of it as anybody We had fun. (laughs) You were my hot young girlfriend with the chic job. I was your upwardly mobile, charming, successful boyfriend. And we were together because we each got something out of the relationship that we wanted. And it was good. It was actually, it was great. But now it's over. How did I not see this in you? Because you saw what you wanted. You understand that I might die. I'm sorry about that. He breaks up with her then. Uh, Yeah, so there's two kinds of atheists that you get in Christian movies, in my experience. The first is the redeemable kind, right? And those are the people Mm -hmm. that were Christian, and then someone died of cancer, almost always their mother, um, and it's it's always either cancer or, or a car accident. Uh, my my favorite of all time was is the TV show, uh, God friended me, uh, about the atheist podcaster who gets friended by God on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> he he's an atheist because his mom got cancer, miraculously recovered, and on her way from from the hospital got hit by a car and died. So she managed to get both of them. But you'll find over and over again in these movies, it's my mom died of cancer, or my sister died of cancer, or my mom died of a, in a car accident. It's always the same thing. Uh, so those are the redeemable atheists, right? Those are the ones that are going to have the character arc and accept God and, 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 and scream and cry to him probably, you know, more often than not in the rain during Act 3. Uh, but the... The other atheist is, is the one that you're talking about there. That's the evil, just plain, you know, the abortion doctor level atheist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the irredeemable, I'm an atheist because I only care about myself and I hate babies atheist. It reminds me, you know, a lot of these characters seem like characters from Hell Houses. Oh, I'm not familiar. Oh, uh, there's a there's a documentary called Hell House. I don't know if you've, have you seen that film? No, just follows a group of high schoolers who put on with their church a hell house, a live hell house. So basically it's like a haunted house at Halloween, but it's religious themed. So all the high schoolers go in and they dress up as like the abortion doctor or the, oh my God. the two gay people with AIDS <gasps> and they're dying. And they're and what's what's really funny about it is it's really disturbing, first of all. But second of all, it's really bad high school acting at the uh-huh. same time. So it's um yeah, it's it's well worth seeing. You should check it out. It's visiting hours. Everybody checks in, but not everybody checks out. This is Steve. He thought his homosexual lifestyle was everything a real man could want. But now he's dying of AIDS. Steve, I'm right here. I'm not gonna leave. Why is this happening to me? Why can't it just be over? Don't talk like that, Steve. Doctor, I need you. We've got an emergency over here. 
Yes, Carter, what do we have here? Her name is Jan. She's 17 years old. She took the new abortion pill, RU486, two days ago. She's been bleeding ever since this morning, complains of severe abdominal cramps, and her blood pressure is 80 over 60. Uh, why won't the bleeding stop? Matt said this wouldn't be a big deal. It was just a stupid pill. Why can't this just be over? It'll never be over, Jan. Steve. No. What's the no. matter? Are you okay? Uh, I keep having these nightmares of burning in hell. Why can't it just die in peace? Just a little taste of what's in store for you, Stevie boy. Steve, don't you understand? This is God talking to you. He doesn't want you to burn in hell. Please, Steve, give your life to Jesus. Don't waste your last chance. Oh, I live in the middle of the Bible Belt. I could probably go to one of these things. Oh, oh yeah. That would be amazing. <laughs> Well, thank you for I I I know I'd never heard of those at all. So, uh, you know, I I when I was a kid, I loved to uh, I loved haunted houses. When I was a teenager, I always like volunteered to be a monster and always had a blast with those. But man, abortion doctors and gay marriage advocates—that's great. Again, it's how atheists are portrayed in these mm -hmm. in these situations, in these films, in these hell houses. You know, they're always portrayed as awful people doing terrible things. Um, just the worst people you could ever imagine. What's the worst Christian film you've seen? Oh, wow. Okay, that's a huge question. So so there's two ways that you can look at that. Um, worst as in, you know, the worst production quality uh, or worst as in the worst message behind the film. Mm -hmm. uh, luckily, both of those are the same movie. <laughs> um, it's a film we watched called The Unexpected Bar Mitzvah. And it's a it's a Jews for Jesus movie. It's about a family in I think Nebraska, and uh, they they uh, a, a you know good Christian family. A Jewish family moves in next door, and their son becomes friends with the Christian son. And of course, friends don't let friends be Jewish, so they convince the Jewish kid to become Christian, and that's the movie. I know that boy. Something's eating him. He hasn't confided in me. Maybe it's time I have a talk with him. Man to man. Dad, I'm <clears throat> not joking. I'm serious as a heart attack. And that's about what I'm gonna have. Sometimes, you Jewish people act as if being Jewish is more important than finding God. I think it's time for you to leave. What exactly has been going on behind that closed door of your bedroom and in that head of yours since Abe arrived? You got an hour? Yes, sir, I do. Start shooting. So you're afraid of what men will think? Whose side are you on here? I'm on God's side. And you should be too. <laughs> wow. So th there are levels of, of terrible in Christian uh, films. So uh, there's a, a streaming service that I subscribe to, yes, I'm very sorry, called Pure Flix. This is the one that uh, the guy who produced God's Not Dead runs. And, and that's the low level, the, the, the nice light Christian movies. Uh, then there's another uh, level of Christian film that we get from a, uh, a site called ChristianCinema.com that puts on all the stuff that's, you know, the too hot for Pure Flix stuff. And that's where you have to go to find... Movies like The Unexpected Bar Mitzvah, or they also, the same production company produced uh, the, un or the Accidental Activist about a, a news reporter who was forced by his boss to cover a gay pride parade without explaining how gay people were of the devil and bound for hell. I mean, this, this all just reminds me of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh yeah, no, I and and there's definitely some crossover. I know we've done some of the same movies that uh, that they've done riff tracks for. Uh, I believe the the riff tracks guys actually came out and did uh, God's Not Dead for one of the American Atheist conventions one year. So they did, they did, yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about kind of the atheist community. Um, so you're a full time podcaster, and you've been working in this industry for a while, in this movement and this community, um, as we both have, um, have you seen any cultural shifts happening in the time that you've been involved in the movement? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, so yeah, you, you know, I got involved in the 
skeptical movement first, I think, uh, and, and sort of drifted into the atheist movement from there very quickly. Um, and, and that was about nine years ago. I've been doing the podcast for almost eight years, seven and a half years now. Uh, I've been doing it uh, for a living for, for about six and a half years. Um, and yeah, we, you know, I, I go to the conferences and I go to, uh, you know, uh, atheist meetups and skeptics in the pub type things. And, and I've been interacting with this community for, yeah, almost a decade now. And there was obviously sort of a tectonic shift, I think, over, you know, uh, uh, that, that, that's more or less finished now that, that, that wrapped up a couple of years ago, uh, where the movement seemed to purge a lot of its alt-right influence, a lot of its mm-hmm. conservative influence, a lot of its, um, uh, you know, look, I, I think a lot of people got to atheism and atheist activism specifically, the way I did, out of concern for the people that are victims of religion. Uh, a lot of people also got there. The reason that I wound up, you know, being anti-religious as a kid, just to piss people off, right? Just to stir mm-hmm. up stuff. Um, and and those people, you know, they they were marching right along with us because it was controversial. It was an easy way to get people riled up. It was an easy way to troll. You know, you make fun of somebody's religion and, and suddenly they're very angry and very passionate and you've got you've to rise out of them. And if that was your goal, religion was an easy way to get there. And so those people wound up, a, a lot of those people wound up in the, in the atheist movement and they realized pretty quickly that they weren't really welcome. Uh, you know, online, you know, the, the, the online community versus the in-person community, there's a huge divide there. But when those people would go to the conferences and stuff, I think they would find that by and large they were dealing with humanists. They were dealing with people who were, you know, whose chief concerns were uh, the welfare of, of minorities in a, in a country that remains extraordinarily sexist and racist and, and, um, and uh, xenophobic. And mm-hmm. those people you know, exited the movement and loudly. Uh, a lot of people, I think, saw it as a sort of a schism within atheism. I, I saw it as, you know, scratching off the fleas in a sense. Uh, because again, th- those people, I never met any of those people at conferences. I never met any of those people at, you know, doing anything beyond going on Facebook and trying to get a rise out of Christians. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't think those people were ever really. Well, I, I guess I shouldn't say that there are there are definitely some people who, who fit that category that, you know, have YouTube channels and podcasts and, and, and did a lot more in, in the movement. Um, but but I think that's the big change. I think in a lot of ways, you know, the atheist movement grew up over the last few years. Mm-hmm. It's, it also expanded, too, because I think it for the longest time it was very male. It was very white. And I think over the past decade or so, like you mentioned, it's really grown as well and diversified also. Yeah, I, I think not enough, um, but I think there's been, you know, I, I, as mm-hmm. as the straight, cis, white, male, middle class guy, you know, I don't get to make this assessment, I, but, but it seems to me that there's been a concerted effort within the atheist movement to make the, our conferences and, and, our, and our, our spaces more welcoming to minorities. Uh, but it's but it's for look it's 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 for them to tell me not for me to tell them right so like sure. it, it, I feel that we we've made an effort whether or not we've made a sufficient effort you know that's that's measurable by how diverse our our community is I think it's not diverse enough yet but but it does seem to be trending in the right direction. What are some other things you think we need to focus and work on in the atheist movement? Uh, well, I'll tell you what you know I think one of the things that we're that we've been focused on and, and, and are increasingly focused on right now is hearing more from black atheist voices. Uh, there is a different, um, there are different challenges I think that face a lot of black atheists than, than the, the types of challenges that I deal with. Uh, the church mm-hmm. is, is more central to a, a, a black America than it is to white America in a lot of ways. Uh, for, 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 you know, it has, it has a lot of more, a lot more positive connotations. Um, you know, and again, it's 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 not a topic that I'm really qualified to speak on, um, but but I think that we've done a, a all, all overall we've done a pretty poor job of that. Uh, there are still a lot of people that seem to be, you know, the go-to voices of atheism that seem to be a little deaf on this issue. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think we could do a lot better uh, bringing in uh, black voices, bringing in Hispanic voices into our. Uh, missed. I think we've done a better job 
uh, than you're, we've, we've done, a, I think, a, a fairly good job being welcoming, uh, but that that's not the same as listening. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, let's talk a little bit more about you and what you're doing right now, because as people know, I'm sure we are in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we also have a lot of protests going on against police brutality in the United States. And I, so many people I speak to, so many of my friends and my family are are having a difficult time right now. A lot of people are depressed and sad, and it's 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 hard right now with everything that we're going through uh, in this country. Um, how are you coping with everything that's happening? Well, I should say that I've got the game set to easy, right? I, I work from home. Uh, when mm-hmm. I the, the the house I rent has a like a mother-in-law apartment upstairs, which I use for my office. Uh, so I actually still get to leave my house every day and go to work. Uh, my commute is a you know, a walk around the to the side entrance of the house. But um, but, I, you know, I'm I'm sort of in a position where it, it interferes with my life a lot less than most. I don't have kids. Uh, my wife doesn't work. So like she's not at home more often than uh, she otherwise would have been. Uh, and, you know, it's starting to stress me out having, you know, I've left the house, I think, four times in the last. Uh, what am I at? four and a half months now or, or, or however long uh, uh, since mm-hmm. the, lo- the lockdown began. Uh, and so I can only imagine how it's how people are handling it who have, you know, you know who are not as as, as um, fortunate in their circumstances I am. Um, but the yeah, the main way I'm I'm dealing with things is 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 focusing in on work, you know, uh, trying to keep myself productive. I've, I've got a book. Uh, that I uh, just wrote that it's about to come out about this very subject and about uh, specifically about religion's role in uh, exacerbating the pandemic. Uh, and I've been working really hard on that. That's been uh, eating up a lot of that extra time. Uh, but yeah, it's starting to starting to be really hard, uh, you know, the, that lack of um, social contact. I, you know, obviously I've, I, I've, again, I'm very fortunate. I have the woman that that uh, I like the most of anybody on the uh, on the planet right here with me the whole time. Uh, that helps mm-hmm. a lot. But yeah, it's it's man, it's starting to get a little tough uh, psychologically. Can you talk a little bit about the book that you're working on? Uh, yeah, what well, I'd love to give you a title, but we're still kind of dancing around on that. But it's something that um, I wrote over a very short period and uh, is now in a <laughs> seemingly endless stage of of rewrites. Uh, but it's specifically about what role religion played in keeping us from having a sensible response to this crisis. Now, there are a lot of different angles that, that we take within the book. We, we talk about the way that uh, the evangelical Christian movement propped up and uh, Donald Trump and got him elected, uh, the way that they've kind of led him by, around by the nose the entire time he's been in office. We've, we talk about the way that... Uh, the the anti intellectualism uh, that's undergirded young earth creationism and a lot of other different uh, Christian uh, theologies uh, has exacerbated this problem the, the the problem that we have of people you know distrusting science not wanting to wear masks not believing what uh, the World Health Organization or the CDC has to say and of course we talk about the open defiance of the public health measures that we're seeing in so many churches where we, we mm-hmm. talk about uh, the defiant churches in Kentucky that insisted on gathering together on Easter Sunday, despite the fact that churches by and large cater to older people who are far more likely to be immunocompromised. Right. We talk about the uh, the idiot down in uh, Tampa who kept packing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people into his church throughout the crisis, even through the tiny little bit of a lockdown that the that the state of Florida managed. Uh, we talk about the uh, the jackass in Louisiana uh, who continue to bring busloads of people uh, into his church throughout the crisis and only stopped when he eventually got arrested for backing into someone who is protesting them continuing to bring people into the church. Um, so I think, you know, that in, a, in a crisis that was mismanaged to this degree, every institution in America has some amount of blame, but I think there is an outsized amount of blame that belongs in the lap of 
uh, Christianity, and specifically evangelical Christianity, and and the book highlights that and uh, and really tries to drill down into to, you know, not only uh, uh, pinning the blame where it needs to be, but also asking, what are we going to do to make sure this doesn't happen the next time that there's a biological crisis? When is the book uh, scheduled to come out? Uh, it should be out by the end of this month, by the end of July. We don't have a firm date on that either, unfortunately. You know, it's it's so hard dealing with all this stuff and not feeling like you're just screaming against a wall sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you deal with that? How do you unwind? How do you not let it get to you? Or or does it just get to you all the time? I think it just gets to me. Yeah, honestly, mm-hmm. I I mean. You know, I try to use that. I, I, I've said before, you know, when I first started doing the show, I was, I, I was, the, the audience was, you know, sort of receiving my anger, the anger that I had pent up for, you know, 40 years, 30, I think 37 years when we started the show uh, of dealing with religious nonsense and religious lies and the bigotry uh, that, that, that surrounds and is empowered by it. And... After a while, I started doing the the podcast for a living, and I stopped dealing with it. I don't, I don't talk to very many religious people unless I go out looking for them anymore. I don't, you know, I don't have a normal job where I have to sit in the break room and listen to people tell me about their, uh, their how great their chiropractor is, or you know, about all the uh, the the how they're going to get hundreds of dollars now because they donated, you know, they sowed a seed to some televangelist or whatever. Uh, so I don't have that ready source of anger. Now my audience is my source of anger. You know, now the emails I get from people who are like, you know, who are telling me, thank you uh, for expressing this rage. Here's my story. That's the source of the anger now. Um, so I feel like, um, you know, look, that's the, 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 the lot that I've chosen in life is to is to let it get to me, uh, to be that guy. It's funny how you and I kind of seemingly come at these things from different perspectives. I mean, I kind of come at it from a more positive perspective and you kind of come at it from this anger perspective. And yet I think both of those perspectives are very much needed and serve different purposes to the same community. Absolutely. Yeah. And and look, we need that balance. Um, you know, I'm 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 honored to be, you know, the devil on the on the shoulder across from you, uh, as, <laughs> as it were. But yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. You know, that's sort of the, the, the balancing act of being an atheist. Look, what you know, I get to say whatever I want on the show. And so my goal is to say all the things that the nice guy wishes he could say. You know, the person who just had to sit through uh, Thanksgiving dinner with their hyper-Christian uncle telling them about how it's the, you know, the parents' fault for bringing their immigrant kids to this country in the first place. That's why they got separated. You know, that guy. I'm, I'm trying to say all the things that person wishes they could have said. Um, and, uh, and and like I said, it's, it, it's cathartic. But, yeah, you can't live there forever. So uh, we definitely need that, that kind of balance. We definitely need both sides of that coin and we're we're definitely glad you're doing it thank you so much noah thanks for having me thanks for listening if you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it please visit patreon.com slash the atheist book for more information about the book and film versions of a better life visit theatheistbook.com